honestly, it has just been replaced with peace for the first time ever. Um, you know, I, I, and that's another thing. I, because my dad is still a minister, and you know, he, one of his biggest things is, you know, someone who's not a Christian can say that they have peace, but they don't have true peace. Um, and we, I don't argue with him. We have a really good relationship. But one time, my response to him was whatever peace I had before, like, I don't want it. Like, the true peace felt a lot like turmoil, um, and I feel like real peace doesn't need an adjective in front of it. This is The Airing of Grief with Derek Webb. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual D and reconstruction. Season 1, Episode 13. Goodbye for now. Derek, I just finished listening to Fingers Crossed while I walked my dog broke down Christmas boxes, and picked up sticks in my front yard. I was reminded of a recently read Emily Dickinson poem. I felt a funeral in my brain, and mourners to and fro, kept treading, treading, till it seemed that sense was breaking through. And when they all were seated, a service like a drum kept beating, beating, till I thought my mind was going numb. And then I heard them lift a box and creak across my soul with those same boots of lead again, then space began to toll. As all the heavens were a bell and being but an ear and I and silence some strange race wrecked solitary here. And then a plank in reason broke and I dropped down and down and hit a world at every plunge and finished knowing then. When I first read this poem, I felt a deep sense of hope. And I felt the same when listening to Fingers Crossed. There's something so very beautiful about being so completely present to your own death that you hear the treading and the beating and the space and the silence. I feel this presence in this art of yours and I have hope for an even deeper knowing for you. I've recently gone through and continue to journey through my own deep death. Death of what I thought my right choices would bring. Death of the protective barriers that I had built around my heart. Death of what I thought love was supposed to be. Death of my understanding of what my relationship with God should be. I don't know anymore what the message of the cross means for us today. I wonder if just maybe it is not that we sinners need saving, but that it shows us that in order to rise, we need death. In order to move deeper, we need our reason to be broken. The poem ends, and finish knowing then. When death is known, we can enter into then and keep living.
it's Derek. How's it going? I'm pretty good. How are you, Derek? I'm doing fine. Thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So we have 10 minutes. Tell me your story. Okay. Um, well, first, before you get started, I'd just like to say, like, I really think, I'd like to thank you for, I guess, all you've done through the years. Um, mm. You know, just, I don't know, just your evolution as a person and as an artist. I followed you for a long time. My Man. father is a, um, is a pastor. Okay. And so I was kind of limited growing up what I could listen to, but <laughs> right. thankfully I could listen to C- Cademan's call. So wow. Okay. So you know. <laughs> we kind of snuck in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank, I mean, and thank God. So that's so <laughs> but, cool. I really appreciate yeah. it, man. Thank, that yeah. means we must have some things in common. So I'm, I appreciate it. Gosh, definitely. Um, you know, I just, I remember, Really, just growing up. I guess my story is I obviously grew up in the church, hmm. um, and never really finding like I had a place in it. Just kind of growing up, hmm. um, I, I feel like I I asked a lot of questions that made people uncomfortable, just kind of naturally. And so, hmm. um, like for instance, I can remember like one of the most vivid memories I have as a kid is when I would go to bed at night and say my prayers and <laughs> just cause you're supposed to say your prayers. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. And I would start, you know, I'd pray for everybody in my family and then it, my mind would kind of trail off and I start thinking of, um, you know, just people on the other side of the world. And so I would think of, hmm. you know, some, you know, someone like me, my age on the other side of the world. And I think of, you know, what are they doing right now? Like, are, hmm. are they saying their prayers before they go to bed? Obviously I didn't understand that the time difference would have been it was probably daytime there but, <laughs> right. but, but uh, you know so I would think you know you know what are they doing are they doing the same thing I am and then it, I would kind of trail off to like well, I wonder who they're praying to wow um, you, even, you when know, you were, so even when you were little you were when I was uh, this is probably conscious you know, of that prior you know maybe around five or six years old um, wow. so I just kind of think like and then I would you know you'd hear things in church like about how your god is the true god and sure. you know we're right and everybody else is wrong and so yeah. I would just think like how sad it would be for someone just like me who had really good intentions to be praying mm-hmm. to a god and then it'd be the wrong god wow, um, and then I would think about how well what if they're actually praying to the right god but they just don't know his name yet um, or huh. they don't know that, it, you know, what his real name is, you know, maybe. And so sure. even as a small kid, I just kind of had this understanding that whatever we have going on with our, you know, own religious beliefs, it's all inside of us. It's yeah, in our head. Wild. Like yeah. there, there's nothing external of us. And so, you know, it's all dependent on whether I'm believing the right thing. So that would always kind of get me tripped up. I, I mean, I just remember, you know, going through you know, high school and being a teenager. And I probably got, you know, quote, saved hmm. 150 times just yes. because I was never quite sure, you yeah, know, and then that asked if I too. had some yeah. type of an assurance. Of course, I'm not sure because nothing tangible or physical happened. You know, I just, I right. said something either outside or in my head. And what, what if would, I said yeah, what would assurance what even look like? Wrong? Yeah. You know, I mean, what is that supposed to mean? You know, so I just never really felt like I fit. So probably by the time I got, hmm out of high school going into college I had already kind of walked away from the church um and you know later on I got I got I got married and I'm still married but me and my wife started going um I I was raised and grew up Baptist so we started going to a a church that her family was going to which is more of a charismatic church Hmm. um and kind of got in involved with things there and seeing spirituality from a different side Hmm. um so by the time that I fully walked away from any type of evangelical Christianity like I'd kind of experienced 
almost just two polar opposites. You know, I, I'd grown up in um, in churches where you know the most most important thing is your you know theology and what you believe, right? Um, and doctrine. And right. then I'd gone to churches where the most important thing is you know, your experience, like, or right. what are you experiencing spiritually or miracles happening or whatever. Um, and so by the time I walked away, like, I feel like I'd kind of experienced the gamut of what could be experienced. Yes. You know, as far as even a lot of brands, of it. Go, you know, and so, um, but I still just couldn't answer. I, there was just a lot of questions that I, I couldn't answer. And so at this point in my life, I'm, I'm to a point where I'm at peace with I'm at peace with, I guess, just not knowing. Um, mm. I'm not really sure what I believe about anything. You know, if, if as far as my beliefs on Jesus, you know, I believe he was, you know, a, the son of God or the son of the divine just as much as I am, you know, and I really feel mm. that was kind of his message was, you know, this is, this is something for all of us to understand. We've been doing it the wrong way. Um, and if you understand who you are in your connection to the world and into the gr- connection to the divine and the greater universe, like even if they kill you, they can't take you. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that that's kind of where I find myself now. I've gone through all of, you know, uh, periods of being angry and frustrated and hurt. Like mm. I'm not there anymore. I'm just kind of in a, in a stage of life where I don't know and I'm okay with it. So, wow. Um, and, and do you feel, man, thank you for sharing all that. And do you feel like... Do you feel like for you at this point that Jesus still um, features predominantly for you, you know, or like you said, is it is is it more kind of character in a story and not that not that not unique necessarily? Um, um, I think I honestly I believe as far as Jesus is concerned um, and I, I say this to a lot of people um, when they ask because mm-hmm. I believe if if you need or are looking for a savior, he's a good one. Um, <laughs> you know, that's great. But I think the point of his message was you don't necessarily, you don't need anybody to save you. Yes. Um, you know, and it, that's kind of what I gather from it. I remember um, several I mean, years do, ago. Do you feel was, like you picked that up from him that you don't really need anyone to save you? I do. I mean, I really do. When I read the story, all the stories of the Bible, I've read through it since I've walked away from my faith. Um, And what I get from it all is kind of just an evolution of a people group. Um, You know, I get, I, you know, I see where you had, you know, some really rudimentary beliefs in the, you know, in the beginning and in Genesis. And we don't have enough time to get into any of that. Sure, I just kind of see, uh, you know, an evolution of, of kind of what a greater sense of responsibility to your fellow man will do within a people group is what I see. So by the time that Jesus showed up, it was kind of a culmination of we've learned so much, but we've really gotten off track. Hmm. Um, You know, uh, there was his whole point. He showed up and he's like, I don't like all these religious leaders. I don't like everything that's going on religiously in this country. And I also don't appreciate that we are, um, we're essentially occupied by the Roman empire. Like I don't appreciate either of these things. Um, and so, and he also told people that they had to like eat his, eat his flesh and drink his blood. I mean, (laughs) I mean, did say that, um, you know, so as far as I, when I really find myself relating to Jesus, I really do feel like, you know, he, he had a bigger message than we have now. Like he, he, nobody, 
Hmm. Nobody in that day would have ever thought that we we're going to be meeting in churches and saying some secret prayer that yeah. might get you into heaven that we don't really know if it exists after you die. Right. You know, so I, I've deconstructed up to that point. And I find it funny that we have a term for it now, like deconstruction. Right. Back when I was going through it, nobody talked about it. It was just called doubt and you were borderline a heretic. <laughs> right. And so, you know. <laughs> so and now, now it's all cool. Apparently like, there's a bunch of podcasts that are, yeah. <laughs> Every, everybody's got a podcast and everybody's talking about it, which is great. I know. Um, because it, it lets people know that they're not alone. That they're not doubt. alone. I, I think um, it's an effort to recongregate when you feel isolated in the doing of it. And I you think know, that's valuable. Yeah. It, yes. Especially for groups of people, you know, who feel some type of um, connection and responsibility to each other, you know, so right. it, it, yeah. it gives you and especially people who have kind been of that trained media for a lot of years to gather because I mean, of you course. know, every, everybody who came up through church, it's like, this is a this is ritualistic. It's it's liturgical. Like we we gather, and it's hard to just stop gathering. And right. So we we you know and and it's uh, so I think that's a good healthy thing you know or at least a, at least a a a, an, a reverse gateway drug you know. Of course, I mean, well, it gives you an outlet for that. It's, it's, you know, I remember when I, me and my wife kind of it, it's a funny story, but we were laying in bed one night asleep, and my wife woke up and she just looked at me and she said, "Are we Christians?" And I thought about it for like maybe three seconds, and I just said no. Um, and it, then at that point, you know, we realized, okay, well, well, what are we? You know, started thinking, well, what are you? Like, if you're not a Christian, what are you? you know? and, so, and so, you know, we have friends of different faiths, and you know, they invite us to go to their different services, and we just finally decided, like, we don't want to replace one thing with something else. Let, let's just be and not worry about what we are. Yeah, that's really good, man. Our journey. Reason it's been so long since we talked I'm not ready to show up And feel nothing I don't even feel sad anymore Just always looking for Your replacement And now that this part is deconstructed, let's say, and maybe not what it used to be in the way that you practice it. What what have you been able to replace it with? You know, well, I honestly, it has just been replaced with peace for the first time ever. Mm. Um, you know, I, I and that's another thing. Like, this, my dad is still a minister, and you know, he, wow. one of his biggest things is, you know, someone who's not a Christian can say that they have peace, but they don't have true peace. Um, and we, I don't argue with him. We have a really good relationship. Yeah. But one time my response to him was whatever peace I had before, like, I don't want it. Like the true peace wow. felt a lot like turmoil. Um, and I feel like real peace doesn't need an adjective in front of it. Yes. Um, and so I really have <laughs> yeah. just been able to be, you know, I'm not constantly worried about whose bad side am I on? Like, you know, yeah. have I done something that has, that has put me out with God, you know, because yeah. it, you know, as far as that goes, like we are all children of this universe or yeah. God or whatever you want to call well, it. And, and like, there's no way to dignity be out. And, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you, know, you know, there's no way to be out. And, and th- so, and, that's, and that sounds, that sounds a little, and I'm familiar with that language and it sounds a little bit fear-based to me. It sounds, or, or, or definitely fear inducing, which is, of course. which yeah. can, can be, and I'm not saying it is in that case or in a lot, in all cases, but it can be, 
um, kind of lighting the fuse on a manipulation. It's like, right. you know, like, um, let, let me convince you that there's something that you don't have that you need and then let me immediately supply you with the solution. Exactly. Um, you know, that, that's you think exactly you have peace, but it's not it real peace. It's not real peace. And you think, well, wait a second, I don't? And what is real peace? Oh, I'm so yeah. glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> here it is. And here I it is. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's like 30, 30 second prayer. It'll solve everything. Exactly. So, um, you know, so, I've, yeah. I've, so to me, that's really what I found on the other side. I found how yeah. to love myself and like myself and enjoy yes. myself for the first time ever, which is, you know, opened me up to, to have deeper and more meaningful relationships with everybody right. in my life, including my spouse, you know, that's right. um, because I, I lived so long, um, just in this constricting, you can't really let every, anybody know what's really inside of you because if they know they're not going to accept you. Sure. Um, and so that, that's really what I have found out on the other side is just Man. freedom and peace and this ability to be okay with who I am and with who everybody else is, you know, that's if right. you, if you find value in some type of religion, then that that's fantastic. Right. I I didn't, and so that's why yeah. I don't I don't you know have one. Man, well, <laughs> but, uh, I, well I'm, I I resonate a lot with with that, and I, and I'm and I really appreciate your story, and and um, and uh, you know I hope we can I hope we can pick it up at some point. But thanks so much great, for absolutely. yeah, thanks so much. Thank for you chatting so much for me. doing this. I mean, this is oh, it's a pleasure, it's, man. It's really awesome. It yeah. Really well, thanks for chatting. We'll talk again sometime. <laughs> thanks, Derek. Okay. See ya. Yeah, I still believe in love Like I believe in just war I think it's possible that I wanted to make was um, my trouble with we're, we were born and raised through school thinking in terms of left and right black and white right yes. and wrong that's right and the church presents its own set of questions yeah it's binary its own set so many things are binary, right answers yeah. yeah and so it's it's for those people who have left the church who haven't given it that thought um, mm. I think it's hard for them and I think it's hard for a lot of people um, and this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you accountable for your lyrics in a second. Yes, um, is is they have this either either or mentality where they can't redefine God. They can't look back and find a different stream of a different faith or a thread that runs throughout different things yep. because they've been told there is only this one way. Yeah, and well, which is why that, I think deconstruction sometimes is the only path. To, to recon. I mean, it it it's inarguably the only path to reconstruction. But it's like sometimes you have to say, well, you know what? If that's the case, 
And if I just can't intellectually get there, maybe I have to cauterize in order to reconnect because I can't, there yeah. is no path from here to where I feel like is the true, is the real place. And even if it's akin to this place or, or a suburb of this place, I have to actually break this in order to right. find my way back into something that does feel real. And maybe it's only a few degrees off from this, but there was just no journey. There was no road for me to travel from there to here. So I had to literally like leave the earth for a second, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, when you, when you give yourself the freedom to be wrong, then you suddenly start to realize that those, those definitions Mm. don't even apply anymore. Like you're asking the wrong questions to begin with when you get to that, but it's hard to break. Um, it's hard to break those things that are so embedded in your, in your mind and even in just your personal life philosophy Mm. that you don't even know are there. Um, I, I don't know if, I think we've talked a little bit about before, um, the philosopher, Peter Rollins. Sure. He likes to say how people will come to him, come up to him and say, I don't believe in hell anymore. Do you think that means I'm going there? Like, <laughs> it's, it's a question that it's really good. Yeah, it it, uh, it immediately negates its answer. But you say the same thing to an extent on the new record, um, and it's a brilliant line. It's a beautifully written line. I loved it when I heard it, and then I got really angry at it afterwards mm. because I think it's the most poignant line in the record where you say, "Maybe you're not real, or maybe I'm just not chosen." Why does it have to be an either or? And I think that's an I think that's a unsay. I get where you're what you're trying to say artistically and mm-hmm. poetically, but I think that's so embedded in people. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, either it, this or that. No, you're right. I mean, it, it it is very binary. But for me, I think the that's that's how that's emotionally that's really how it felt for me in in that moment is like right. really all, like one of two things kind of has to be true here, either. Sure. God is real and all the things that I've ever known about him or learned about him or studied about him or been told about him are true. And I'm just not on the inside of the circle. And they, like all that's true. It just doesn't apply to me or it's none of it's true and it doesn't matter. But it kind of feels like it. it's going to be a nuanced version of one of those two broad headings. Um, Hmm. but either way I'm heartbroken over it, you know, which is the next line. Um, sure. And, but it really did. I mean, it really did. And it's still a lot of the time does feel that way to me. It feels, um, like at the end of the day, if I really had to distill it, um, and my analytical mind likes to do that, even if it, if it robs me of the ultimate truth, sometimes it, it does feel like, I mean, cause either, either God's there or he's not. And, and, and maybe, he is, but he's just the God of some other religion or maybe a who knows what. But in terms of how I need to reckon with, like you said, maybe there's no way for me to get to from where I am to where I need to be or what feels true to me. And so I have to leave it to come back. 
um, in order to find where the boundary is, you know, and it's also the last song on the record. Um, it's the sum up, you know, and maybe that's just the only desperate move I had left was to say, you know mm. what, you know, in terms of my experience with this particular brand of spirituality or, or religious practice, in terms of my experience with that up to now and the way that I've understood it, one of these yeah. two things is going to have to be true. And I'm really pretty obsessed on figuring out which one it is. And I'm bracing sure. myself for either one. And I'm processing the grief of both just in case. Well, I think it, I think it points out the beauty and the often overlooked um, sadness. I think you, you might have even said it yourself, that this is not something you would wish on anyone. No. And it's This is it's a record that. I wish didn't exist. I wish not, I wish there was no reason to write any of these songs. I wish none of this whole narrative had ever taken place. But unfortunately, this is what I have. I look at the world, I tell you what I see. And, um, but it is one of those records that you wish you'd never written and that you wish didn't exist in the world. But, um, but in as far as my, the, the thing that finally brought me around to realizing that it was worth writing and that I should go ahead and do it was the idea that, oh God, I might not be the only person who feels this way though. And there might sure. be a lot of people who feel just as alone in a moment like this as I do. And they're not, and neither am I. And wow, that really helped to realize. And if I can lend that to anyone else, that really needs to become my purpose for a minute. And, mm -hmm. and yes, it's going to be cathartic for me to process it and say it all out loud. But I also hope that ultimately the, the purpose that it serves is to be enough soundtrack, resonant soundtrack for somebody that they realize that they're not alone. came out honestly it was like i don't know if you're a lord of the rings fan but like there's that moment right at the end of the last movie where like frodo is like you know there's like uh you know huge lava rocks like just coming down all over their heads and they're they're like on a rock about to get completely pulverized by the mountain and he has this look of total joy and elation on his face because he realizes that the ring is gone <laughs> that it's done you know and yeah and it kind of honest to god it kind of felt like that like I was really just full of relief and, and just like, it was like a surge of joy. Like, Oh, I did it. Like I, I just, I, it's like, it's been this thing in front of me for so long. And, and I've been trying to imagine my life on the other side of having this out in the world and just the relief of having said it and yeah. just, and, and I, and it was, so it was amazing. It was a great feeling. It was totally different than any other record I've put out in 20 years in terms of the way it felt to me. Um, but I'm curious. Yeah, I've got to say, yeah, because I definitely with your early albums, I really relate them because I think we're we're very similar ages. Like yeah. I'm 42. Yep, I'm 43. So, yeah. Um, so kind of like your songs and the kind of in the early Cademan's albums and your early solo stuff were always hitting me at the same place that I was at. Hmm. And I think that's what really attracted me to your music was there was always always elements of questioning and always elements of doubt, which I was carrying with me the entire time. Yeah. But I gotta say that this is the album I wish I had had, kind of when I'd come out as gay and when I'd left the church and wow, when I yep. was reviving the loss of that sense of purpose that church gives you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's why this album hooks back into me so strongly is that I I, I appreciate all of those questions that you. Yeah, put into and there it. is there's a there is a real grief. There's a real grieving. In... Oh, it is. Grief. 
completely. Yeah, completely. and it, and it's interesting to me that it feels a lot. It's a lot more sadness than anger in terms of, you know. But I mean, because you invest. I mean, for me, twenty something, thirty something years yep, of my life. Here. Yeah, into like a wave of seeing the world that helps it to make sense and. And it's it it's 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 tangled up in everything you do, from relationships to work to everything, and um, to what gets you to sleep at night, and to what what where you put your hope for your future, and the the reason that you can relax and trust that everything's going to be okay, and just that everything's wrapped up in it. And there really is such a a grieving that you go through when you suddenly detach from all that, and the process of figuring out where to reattach. So I'm back in the corner of this bar Just studying a glass And these faces I've been looking for the one I lost And for eternity In the wrong place. One thing I noticed, I mean, when I left the church, I ran out the door kind of screaming. And I, yes. I, looking back, I realized that I deliberately went into a career that was quite light and fluffy. Like, it deliberately was not about purpose and meaning. Mm. And looking back, that was a rejection of faith in the church and the idea that like, there was a, that was God's, God's plan that I was you know, meant to be fulfilling. Yeah. And then over the years have gone by, I've kind of felt this lack of purpose and this desire to do something that feels like it is adding back into humanity on a bigger scale than just my own personal selfish life. Hmm. And so that's led me back into charity work or that has led yes. me back into um, uh, being more politically active. Because I know a lot of church people who leave Christianity and they instantly fill that gap with, intense political activism or yes. or they flip religions they become very serious buddhists or they become very serious muslims even they just completely change track um whereas i i mean i still have this gut kick against anything that feels too religious yes and that's like that's just my that's i think that's the pain that will always be in yes me. yes like, that's one of the things you just learn to deal with your injury. Uh, yeah, man, absolutely. But the thing I find hardest, though, is that when you have a moment of real panic or real struggle and you still want to turn around and go, okay, God, if you, you come on, you know, if you really are, this is, this is the bit where you're meant to just, you know, crack the heavens open and, and turn up. And, um, you know, uh, so far, that hasn't happened yet. So. That's right, and I and I and I, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's extremely resonant to me, and I I feel as though I am permanently uncertain about all this, and I still do have those moments, you know, desperate um, moments of sadness or grief, or even desperate moments of like joy or elation, where where like, and it's mostly it's funny, it's mostly for me, like in the shower. I don't know why that's like my meditative place. I think it's because like. You're totally exposed and nothing can really come in there with you. Like I can't bring my iPhone in there or I can't like yeah. – <laughs> and so it's like – it's great. It's like isolated and it's safe and it's – and for me, it's like – it's ritualistic. I mean I, I can't really operate without a shower every day. I don't know why that is but – and it's like hitting reset. But it's like while I'm – so that's a lot of those moments where I'll just kind of like stare up at my shower ceiling and say, 
like, hey, like show up. Like I'm still, I'm still on the other end of the line. Um, but it's been a long time since it's felt like there's any conversation or anyone else there. And I mean, it's like, I don't, and I'm not, I don't live any longer kind of with it up against my ear waiting. Um, I feel like, but, but I, but I haven't cut it, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to rip it out of the wall and because I want to know what the truth is or I want to know what truth is. And I want to know, and I want to be open. I don't want to be reactionary and, and be only, I don't want to say that I'm now I'm, you know, that I'm detached from what I believed before. I'm just open to anything could be true. It's like, most people, they say that, and what they really mean is anything but what I previously held to be true could be true. Yeah. And I don't want to live like that. I, I really want to – if it's real, if, if it, then I want to know about it. And I don't want to doggedly, stubbornly miss it because it was the one thing I wasn't open to because maybe, maybe the God that I believed in for 30 years wasn't the real one and needed to die. And maybe, it, maybe that God deserved an atheist in me. Um, and that just provide an opportunity to find the real one, or maybe, maybe it's all bullshit, but one way or the other, I want to know, and I want to stay open to it. Like I want to remain open and, but it's a hard thing to do. It's, it can be a really painful thing because you just feel like you're endlessly waiting for the voice to arrive on the other end of the line. Um, yeah, but I find too that, uh, but this is, this is, I mean, I am not a person of faith anymore. Right. But I think that this is the important part of faith, hmm. is that faith has to have the realm. You have to be able to be wrong to learn. Whereas I think so many people to, uh, latch onto faith as an excuse to not have to learn. Yes. It's yeah. like, oh, well, I don't even have to think about a lot of shit anymore. It's like, exactly. no, no, no. <laughs> like, Yeah. And that sometimes you, it takes some reconnecting and it takes some plugging some wires back into some into some important places to get to where you you can rebuild some of that on the other side of faith so i say goodbye for now goodbye for now goodbye for now so i say yeah you know i um saw you play at the house show in Atlanta um, over the summer. And, uh, you know, I think that was one of the first shows that I've been to where I heard, like, you know, new songs that I had uh, never heard before and actually, like, wanted you to keep playing the new songs. Wow. You know? Because I was just like, whoa, this is different and surprising and, you know, something Mm -hmm. unexpected. But the song that really... Uh, hit me was when you played uh, Goodbye for Now. Hmm. Um, the moment uh, of doing the, you know, um, the, when you have the And Yet You Say and just play the guitar hmm. song. Yeah, hit that's, me that's, like that's a, where I, yeah, that's where I, I, um, I hold space for my duet partner to show up who never seems to. Yeah. <laughs> that hit me like a ton of bricks, man. Yet you say
I am 15 years old. I am in my older brother's room in the house where we grew up. I don't get invited there often, so I am honored and confused and very attentive. I hear the guitar, the gentle finger picking, and the raspy, pleading voice ring out. I'm reminded of the streets of my hometown, how they're much like this concrete warm beneath my feet, and how I'm all wrapped up in my mother's face with a touch of my father just up around the eyes and the sound of my brother's laugh more wrapped up in what binds our ever-distant lives. And I have a brother. He's right in front of me, singing to me. After his first half a year away at college, he seems moved by the song, by being back home, by being my brother. So I am moved too. I am 18 years old. I am sitting in a beautiful church somewhere in Minneapolis, looking up at a brightly lit stage with two microphones propped against a wooden backdrop. I immediately recognize the short, skinny, bald guy in a white t-shirt trotting up to the stage with a guitar strapped to his back. Everyone around me applauds in anticipation. I look to my left, to my right, I don't recognize anyone except the poet at center stage. I came alone, after all, to see my hero, to see someone who spoke my language. It is my first half a year away at college. I asked a lot of people I knew to come with me, but no one could make it. I had to come anyway. I had to see him, to put movements to a face to put expressions to the words I've been hearing, contemplating, cherishing. I sought connection with a man I felt I knew but never met. Then he introduces us to his new wife. They tell their story to us and sing us their songs. He tells me about his Christian faith and about God's love and forgiveness. He sings the song from my brother's room. I am in love. I am 24 years old. I am driving to a hotel room to celebrate with the woman I love, the woman I just married. We have an hour drive, so we decide to pop in a compact disc and enjoy our favorite songs on the way. The lines ring out over and over again. Better than wine is your love. Hand in hand down the star-speckled Dakota Highway we cruise. Her beautiful face is illuminated by the blue light of the clock on the dashboard as she sings. We are in love. I'm 29 years old. I'm sitting in another church, this time small, old, and curious. A leather jacket covers his white t-shirt and the guitar straps his back, as always. There is only one microphone. He sings. His vibrato is more staccato, more strained than on any album I remember. I love it anyway. Love is not against the law, he tells us. I am with friends. We chat after the show. We argue about his best work on a street corner in St. Paul in the cold Minnesota winter air. We become great friends because of this experience. He is helping me forge friendship. I am happy.
I am 30 years old. I'm looking at a news story on my phone about him, about his wife, about their marriage ending. I can tell he feels obligated to inform everyone, but doesn't want to. I am sad. I am angry. I am disappointed. I listen to his voice singing reassuringly, almost disconnectedly. I don't promise because I know I'll always love you. I make my vow to guarantee I will. I am confused. I am 32 years old. I'm sitting alone in an office. All of the cubes are empty except for mine. The office lights are off and the dawn sun banks off the windows on the far wall to illuminate the gray partitions while the bright computer screen in front of me stares me down. I am trying to listen to a song I cherished, a song I know by heart, a song about someone I once loved, someone I once believed loved me, died for me. It's a song I could perform for anyone, anytime, on the spot, but would always struggle to get out the lines near the end. Cause I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. So you bring all your history, I'll bring the bread and wine, and we'll have us a party where all the drinks are on me. And as surely as the rising sun, oh, you will be set free. And I don't even get to that verse before I shut it off. I rip out my earphones. I get up and leave the room. I don't believe him anymore. I don't believe it. I am faithless and alone. I am 34 years old. I am driving home from work, stopped at a light. Cars in front and behind and beside. Suddenly, in the indifference of a commute, he is speaking my language again. So, so you left, you left me here to document the slow unraveling of a man who burned the house down where he kept everything. And excommunication never made much sense to me like abandoned man to demonstrate how you're I am struggling to see the road. I am 34 years old. I am staring at my love as she explains to me how she feels. She asks me how I feel. I tell her that I am awful. I try to hold back tears, but I can't. She gets up off her chair and we embrace. I sob into her shoulder and neck. I tell her, I think it was easier when I could leave him in that part of my life. She nods in understanding. I can't say another word. I am 34 years old. I fell in love with a Christian musician named Derek Webb in my formative years. He was great. He challenged my worldview and that of the church. He used words like whore and shit just to get the evangelicals all riled up. I loved that. He inspired me to think, to love, to be better. 
He was my friend who I had never met. I knew him intimately and I never spoke a word to him. I was those girls in the audience on the Ed Sullivan show when the Beatles played Twist and Shout. I was pathetically infatuated. I was divorced from Christian ideology and with it, its music, when I was 32. It was one of the painful side effects of losing everything that ever gave my life meaning up to that point. I tried to listen to the songs I loved and couldn't. Slowly over time, I learned to gloss over those songs, those memories, to remember that they don't belong to me anymore. Then, Derek released a new album a few days ago called Fingers Crossed. Listen to the closing track, Goodbye For Now, and you'll get the gist. I cannot stop listening to this album. It is beautiful and heartbreaking and honest and true. He is trying to say goodbye to a deity he grew up loving and worshiping, and I know exactly how he feels. I don't know if Derek is strategically espousing his trademark brutal honesty that got me to love his music in the first place, just to prove a point about mainstream American Christianity, or if he has actually lost his faith, like me. Since the divorce, we haven't talked much. But now, he is talking to me again. He is talking to all of us. We would be wise to listen up. Just don't invest too much time into what he says. He might just cause you to think, to have empathy, to challenge your ideology, to maybe even fall in love. That could be tragic. And if we've learned anything from Derek, maybe even from me, it's that people change. Nothing lasts forever. And you don't know what you'll get in a divorce. I got Derek Webb. Hello, listeners. Thanks for being with us through all of this. This 13th episode marks the end of the Fingers Crossed album, which we have pulled our themes and soundtrack from each week. That means it also marks the end of the airing of Grief, Season 1. But the team has always believed that this podcast is much bigger than the album that helped provide its spark. We think this is only the beginning, and there remains both grief and joy to be shared. There remains a lot to be dismantled and rebuilt, and perhaps most importantly, there remains community to be found. The unknown awaits, and it's better to journey together. So we are already hard at work shaping season two, preparing content and conversation that moves us into that next phase, which is bigger and broader and more exciting and scary and everything else than I can communicate here. But we are about keeping all of this human and tangible. We don't want to produce something that only clinically tackles the issues, and there's room for doing that. It's just not who we are here. We want to remain tethered to the reality of us. Our stories and our contexts, our abuses and our liberations, and our wounds which, in vulnerability and defiance, become newfound strength. So a few things. One, we want your stories and your voices. 
Keep an eye on theairingofgrief.com for details so that we can connect with you, whether over the phone or through something you write. Two, continue to share this podcast with people. They don't have to be Derek Webb fans, just think about the people you know who are resonating on the same frequency or who are about to and have been afraid. And if you haven't yet, please leave us a rating and a review at iTunes or wherever else you can. It really does help make this visible. And three, check us out on Patreon if you haven't. You can find a link at theairingofgrief.com. We have a bunch of different support levels and exclusive content available there, and we will continue publishing to and connecting with our patrons there during the break. Amazing unaired calls, an in-depth song-by-song album breakdown with Derek, monthly online hangouts, and other rewards too. A huge thanks to all who are supporting this work currently, by the way. So it's goodbye for now to weekly episodes, and if you didn't catch the announcement over the last couple weeks, we will be returning April 1st, which happens to be Easter, and we will be resurrecting the podcast to debut season two then. So when Easter Sunday gets here, we will see you after church.